0: Good evening and welcome back to Historical Light. We have a really special secret broadcast this evening from the Grand Lodge of Kansas Annual Communications. We have some wonderful guests with us that's gonna share a nice conversation and some brown liquid as well. So stick with us, we have an amazing episode lined up for you right after this on Historical Light.
1: Welcome back to the Historical Light Masonic Podcast dedicated to illuminate our past and bring our Masonic history to light since 2016. And now... Enjoy the show.
0: Good evening and welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. I'm of course your host, Alex Powers, pleased to be back with you. And we have some amazing guests with us tonight here live on location, at the Grand Lodge of Kansas, Brother James Jack, all the way from Scotland. Thank you much for joining us. We have most worshipful brother Cole Presley good evening thank you so much for being here and patrick craddock himself the apron man cheers thank you so much for being here brothers
2: for the record folks that are watching we just crashed
0: we just, we, we just <laughs> so we, we found out how to lure in masons and apparently if you have some Brown liquid doesn't matter what type it is. They just see brown liquid undefined on a table. They will come and they will talk. We also have another luring guest right behind us. Got to get him on camera here. The brand new grand master of Kansas. Him saying, "Oh, but, but that's true. That's true. Not installed yet. Not installed yet." <laughs> so we'll say right worshipful for now. Yeah, Robert McClarty for a few more hours. Thank you so much for being here, brother. Absolutely.
2: Just thought to would stick my head in, say hi, tell you guys how so much I appreciate everything you do for Kansas Masonry. All the way from Scotland to way out in Western Kansas. To everything you do for us in <laughs> Kentucky. Brother, you have a great night. I'll talk to you soon. You guys enjoy the show. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Well,
0: brothers, we, we've had a quite exciting couple days so far, full day today. Um, what are you guys thinking, brother? You've come down from Scotland for I don't
2: even know how many years now. i seen you down here every single year. How many years have you been coming to Kansas? Ten years? At least. okay. Okay.
0: So, one thing most people say about Kansas is we're a flyover state, and a lot of people are trying to get away from here versus coming here. What the heck do you keep coming here
2: for? Well, it's like a long sentence. it makes great. sense.
3: I've been corresponding to Michael for a number of years. He was writing a book on free mystery. Michael, uh, <laughs> so...
2: Church Lodge in Virginia, a large and I to get in the field in the field yes, but, and uh, the under- And uh, I not the we it, and I never met him, he had never met And was absolutely astonished. And I asked him what was his name in the car and things were going to and was, he was a dead and, and I said, what's the future bring? So I think was a plan for the entire And I said, And I said, I, I, said, um, I think I I'd uh, sort of so like to go to So we came over to Cantus and we did And we made a lot friends. And have coming So that was a story yeah, That's fantastic. And he said he said, when oh, it comes to Cantus, and then the first year the James came out, no one could understand him. Hi. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> I still can't understand can't understand you.
0: <laughs> hey, we got Yvette Powers here, who's usually the one sharing us out. Can you come
2: tilt the camera slightly this way? We get everyone in the shot better. So, we got another one I heard there was a liquid one here. Like one here. Wait, <laughs> we, got just, <laughs> we got another one here, as you guys all know. Most merciful Mike Stoops. Thank you so much for being back. And hi,
0: it's funny to have him back because we just lost this guy. Right? A little
2: bit. Oh, hi. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bless you, 579. Letting's do There we go. Oh, there let me award.
0: We came back for
2: Grand Lodge of Kansas,
0: 167th annual communication, and, uh, well, same thing. We had some brown liquid on the table, and he moseyed in. We're going to need some more brown liquid because we got more guys moseying in. This guy also bought something really, really cool tonight. We had, uh, I'm sorry, music's still playing. Got you guys. We're not in our usual place, obviously. I'm an amateur. Sorry, Music's still playing in the background. Kill him when you need him. Where is he? No, but anyways, we just had a uh, charity auction here uh, for the Grand Lodge of Kansas, and Brother Stoops bought something rather interesting and paid some fine, fine money for it. Right. What 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 did right. you uh, end up yielding this evening? Well. um,
4: you know, Tunix Bakery, uh, Brother Boyd Tunix, <laughs> Brother Sir Boyd Tunix, right, Sir? I, I yeah, yeah brother, brother of my lodge in yeah. Scotland, uh, he, he owns a bakery, and they make caramel wafers. Yep. And they're okay. amazing, chocolate caramel wafers. And uh, they just came out with a new product, which are twice as big as the standard caramel wafer. And so, you know, a, a caramel wafer, uh, the way I figured it is like, what, uh, one pound 75 for a caramel wafer? So, (laughs) less, less, a lot less. Oh well. So anyway, I figured I figured figured a double. I figured a double size one was worth at least one (laughs) hundred and seventy five dollars. So yeah, sounds about
0: the transition. Yeah,
4: uh, two big, two big karma wafers for three fifty. But then I had to give them away because somebody threatened to tell my wife I spent three hundred fifty dollars on karma wafers, and I had to bribe her with karma wafers. So off they went.
0: This is, this is live actually. So, That's okay. Oh, okay, okay. Just making sure it's, it's on record. No, now. no. It, it, <laughs> we actually yeah. don't broadcast to Ireland, so
2: I think we might yeah, she's be. in St. Louis. I might be she's in trouble.
1: <laughs> I think you no, missed brown. the there's brown liquid. I think you missed the exchange rate on that Stu. <laughs> there you go.
0: Brother Cole oh, Presley, yeah. sir. Thank you so much for being here. Obviously, sure. you've been a part of this for a long time. Past grandmaster, grand, Master, grand uh-huh. secretary. In the text, I might be uh-huh. in trouble. Uh oh. I, yeah. One big chair. So, if you wouldn't mind, you, you've you been along Kansas Masonry for quite a long time. Share a little bit about your experience with uh, this 167th annual communication, why it's so important to be here.
5: Well, any annual communication for any Kansas Mason is always important to attend, if for no other reason than to improve your Masonic network, to learn what other lodges are doing for their communities. That's That's the big push behind our lodges right is to find a way to become an asset to our communities in a beneficial way so let's not reinvent the wheel every time let's go learn what what other lodges are are doing from my hat as the grand treasurer this is always an, an important event because it helps me to lock in um, our, our fiscal planning for the future to understand where we're going um, learn about what's going to be required to get there and then to explain to our members what we need to have to get that done. Today was a big day for us with that because um, we needed to make some changes into our per capita tax, which is always a dicey conversation to have when elected leaders are asking for more money. It's no different than a politician asking for more money and then telling you to trust them with it. Um, this today was the same way. This was one of the first times where we had very little counter argument to what we were asking for and the craft understood it. and. and um, set us up for success in the future. So, to, today for me was a big day because we're going to get to move forward in a whole lot easier fashion than what we've been set up for.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, I think we made a lot of good decisions and a lot of progress today. So, yes. it was definitely good to be there. Uh, Brother Patrick Craddock, you're another one that is no stranger to Kansas Masonry. Kansas Mason, actually, right? Absolutely. Yeah.
2: And you think keep like coming back.
0: Keep coming back every year. What is it that brings you to Kansas and what is the importance you see? being in annual communication
1: like this? Oh, well, you know, as most people probably recognize me for what I do now with a craftsman's apron. And I come to Kansas every year, not only because of the friendships that I have made among Kansas masons, but because the Grand Lodge of Kansas was the first grand jurisdiction that gave me an opportunity when I was new in business. And uh, ever since that opportunity, I've had uh, very close friends. Uh, in in the Grand Lodge and I make a decision every year to come and support the direction uh, of the Grand Lodge uh, of Kansas and uh, to continue to give back to them as I can what they offered me when I got started in business. Fantastic
0: well we appreciate you being here brother and you know one of the things that stands out to me and it really correlates with my view on masonry is part of what you do with your business. And I really admire that because when I see you out there at your table, I see quality. I see respect given back to the craft. And it's not about a buck. It's about no. really honoring and respecting and you're giving that quality back. And I was reminded of this this morning, actually. I think I shared the story with you uh, because All my ties are Craddock ties, but I did not have a green Craddock tie for St. Patrick's Day. I had to get one, so I got the Amazon tie, and I had the hardest time tying this today, and I said, it's just not that Patrick Craddock quality tie, so I might have to come visit you tomorrow, man.
1: I'll be there. If you just bring your friends.
5: If you just plug the Craddock ties tie themselves, we're getting up and walking.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Coming soon. So,
5: so tomorrow there's a
4: special. So normally the Craddock ties are fifty dollars a piece, but tomorrow just for you, Alex, we're going to run a special: two ties for a (gasps) hundred and ten.
0: Got to get
1: in on that. (laughs) Come on down to
0: unpainted aprons. We got. Well, so, you know, that's, we cover a lot of history on the show and while we've got Craddock sitting here, that, that is one really cool factor because we've got a lot of regalia that we see in Freemasonry today, um, both from Masons and non-Masons all around, Uh, especially if you're even, anything related to Masonry today, you just get blasted on social media with all kinds of stuff Mm -hmm. from everywhere and it's questionable quality, questionable origins, But a big aspect of what you do with your products is historical-based, which really rings home to me. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd I'd love to get you back on for another episode to really cover the in-depth history there. But what is it about Masonic history that impacted how you wanted to approach
1: your business model? So principally, it's craftsmanship. Yeah. When I started this business, I was – uh, looking for something that I wanted to wear and, and and wasn't finding anything. And so, you know, as I tell everyone with what I do in business, Freemasonry has given me too much for me to give garbage back to mm. it. And I'm not going to do that. Freemasonry has really been important to me in different uh, uh, ages of my life. It's been what I needed at that time. And for that reason, I, 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 my commitment to craft masonry is, is reflected in the quality products that I produce. I'm not willing to cheapen the Masonic experience right. by offering a less than a, a quality product. But the historical uh, connection that you asked there was, is the craftsmanship. Because when I look at historic things, 80, 100, 200 years old, and I look at the the, the, the detail and the craftsmanship that went into making those artifacts, whether it was uh, a watch fob or a ring or a jewel or an apron or a collar or whatever, they were very finely crafted. Right. It wasn't the, the the desire to get the cheapest possible thing. Yeah. That our forefathers had, they wanted to celebrate their commitment to masonry, and to show that commitment with a quality piece, not necessarily the 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 cheapest possible product that can right. be produced. Right. You know that's that's an interesting aspect that
0: you know we look back at masonry anywhere, especially even here in Kansas, and it kind of makes me reflect on uh, what Brother Cole Presley was talking about today and some of the. Uh, the financial obligations that we're approaching. Historically, Masons invested a lot more. I mean, just degree fees were quite up there. Uh, And that's not even getting to your membership fees. And that's not even getting into what they invested into their temples that we're now losing today. There was a lot of value placed into Freemasonry. Um, And then unfortunately, we see today where we're talking about dollars, like mm-hmm. individual dollars, and it turns into huge discussion on the floor.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, Brother Cole, what, what do you think about that? So what I think is that at least here in Kansas,
5: we're, we're not changing, we're going back mm. to what it is that really has mattered. And it's a byproduct of a couple of things. One, it's a focus back on what we're called for and called to do as, as Kansas masons. And the second is, as we all know, unfortunately, membership is declining at a rapid rate. Yeah. Mostly because we're seeing the older generation pass on. That's, that's, that's crude to say, but that's, I mean, factually that's, that's what's occurring. But what we're being left with in terms of the members who are staying are the ones who see the value of craft masonry for what it is. And I believe, well, I I wholeheartedly believe that within a short period of time, you're going to see the Grand Lodge structure itself in a way that's no longer arguing about dollars. It's going to be a conversation of here's our focus, here are our specific projects, here's our mission, and here's how we're going to achieve it. And the craft's going to say, yes, go get it done. And then we're going to come back and say, okay, here's what it's going to cost to do it. And 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 we move forward. And so instead of saying, if you give me a couple of dollars more, I can go do this. It's going to be the craft saying we need our leadership to be doing A, B, and C. And now here's the funding to go get it done.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And it,
5: well, it's where it should be. Um, right. We've got some we've got some procedural work to do. We've got some some bylaw work to do to get us back into that position. Some education for it. But when you look at the character of Kansas Masons now compared to where we were 20 years ago. Um, we're going to be there and we're going to we're going to be in a position of thriving and not surviving as Canvas makes it. I'm excited for
0: it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's honestly, you know, one of those forks in the road that mm-hmm. we have to make that decision of are we going to make this work? Or are we going to give it up? Because, you know, if we're not here to support it, it's going to crumble as we see <laughs> our buildings and our history and stuff doing around us. So it's exactly. kind of a now or never. Brother Jack, I'm I'm sitting here wondering, is this an American issue? Do you guys face this type of stance in, in Scotland?
3: Yeah, very similar uh, problems, uh, financial problems, the uh, sonic temples, uh, maintenance of them, the upkeep of them, uh, fees uh, to Grand Lodge. Our uh, fee to, our annual fee that we would pay the minimum Grand Lodge annual fee is about £40 a, a member. Okay. So that's probably about, what, $45, somewhere, $50 a year? Sure. Um, the The problem is uh, increasing that if you need to increase it, because there will be, you know, I was going to say unrest, and I think perhaps that's the right word, because... <laughs> If you are to say you're going to put up the, the annual fee by £10, there may well be unrest. There might be riots in the street if you put it from £40 up to £50 or up to £60 a year. Right. So, where do we think about it? And what we thought was, we have increased our fees almost by stealth. And what we did was, um, we had a standing order scheme with the bank. i don't know if you've got standing order schemes here by the bank or no but what you what you do is you you put out a standing order scheme and you can pay so much a month into that okay so that started off with maybe half a dozen of the brethren and they would put in 10 pound a month 10 pound a month times 12 and all of a sudden you're paying annual fees 120 pound so your 40 pound as pays your uh, First £40 pays your annual fee, and anything that's left goes into the lodge general funds. Interesting. So you've increased the fees by stealth, and now we've got about 40 members in our lodge who pay their annual fee by standing order. Okay. So if you, the minimum is normally about £10 a month. So if you add that up, that's quite a lot of money that's going into the general fund. Sure. and it's not just we're collecting forty pounds and right. passing it on to Grand Lodge. Right. So we've increased the fee, but if we had said, "Well, we're going to increase the fee from forty pounds to one hundred and twenty pounds," but don't worry, um, we wouldn't send forty pounds to Grand Lodge and the rest going to general fund, then they may well have been riots right, in the street. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we've done it. We've done it to almost by stealth. Yeah, and we've got some brethren who put in more than 20 more than 10 pounds a month and it's quite incredible what we draw in and the balance sheet you know you can see on the balance sheet uh, paid by standing order so there's, there's quite a bit there
0: oh, that's fantastic here and that, that yeah. that's great insight and especially how you guys have taken more of a strategic manner of going about that than i think a lot of lodges do
3: i think as far as finance goes um i'm a member of a number of lodges in scotland and uh, it varies It varies quite uh, considerably. Um, £40 is the minimum fee we pay to Grand Lodge per member, Um, but that can go
0: up to £60 or £70 in some cases uh, for lodges. For sure. Uh, We have here a a guest on the YouTube side saying, add to this fact that the wages have... Stagnated since the 70s, masonry began in rented tavern lofts and will likely return there as the West becomes more poor. It's an interesting concept. Um, Brother
1: Craddock, what do, you, what do you think about the outside or the onside of that? Oh, I think it, it, we're seeing it definitely. Uh, I've worked with a number of lodges and jurisdictions who have chartered new lodges in the last five years that are specifically designed to not own lodge property.
4: Mm, Yeah.
1: They are they are shedding that financial burden that they probably cannot Mm -hmm. and and shouldering the burden of just paying for when they need to go somewhere and set up for a a lodge meeting instead of owning that property. So we're starting to see that going back to public places yeah, uh, where we can towel and meet uh, an open lodge.
2: Right.
0: I mean, it's, it's an interesting concept because, yeah, when you look back at that tavern era of masonry, it wasn't this Masonic lie. It was a tavern. We were yeah, using a right. space there. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, we're seeing the price of everything in the world go up. And lodges are struggling just to pay the property taxes for these very buildings. So, I mean, at a certain point, something definitely has to give. And we've got to be more strategic about what we do, especially when you consider when we can't afford even the property taxes. That's not general maintenance Mm -hmm. or upkeep. And then it brings in the fact that what the public sees of masonry at that Mm. point, because they don't always see our annual communications like this, and how we function as yeah. a craft, yeah. what they see is that physical representation right. that and oftentimes yeah. it's falling apart and crumbling
2: in exactly. front of society.
1: And that's one of the things that, uh, that are starting to be noticed is uh, that a, a, a lodge is not the building, right? right. Now, I, I hate, as a historic preservationist, to see us lose some of these beautiful edifices. Indeed. But when it comes down to practicing masonry, that's not masonry. Right. That's a building.
5: And it's an impact to visible perceptions.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So yeah, As
5: much as we love our old buildings and the history behind them, if they're in disrepair and falling apart, yeah. that's the visible impression yes. that the world sees about craft masonry. Yeah. But if we're renting public spaces and we're showing up and we're one appropriately attired, mm-hmm. and then the work that comes out of those lodge meetings is what the public sees. Yeah, yeah. They're no longer yeah. seeing a rundown old building as a fraternity; they're now yeah. seeing the work that we yeah. that we have done.
3: I think um, I think on the same subject there's, there's possibly three different ways to look at it. Our, our lodge in five seven nine, our building in five seven nine is a hundred years old uh, right. next year. Um, we're the only lodge that meet in that building. Uh, we meet twice a month, Uh, another aspect is a lodge that would rent property, Mm, possibly from another lodge, and when the meeting's finished, pack your stuff away, and that's them away for for two weeks or maybe even longer. Um, And then there's the other aspect of it, almost like um, what you might find quite commonly in England, where you have uh, a Masonic Hall uh, with dining facilities and a bar, which is not unlike what we've got in Ludingston, a big hall, but that would be run as a business. Sure, yeah. And and you would probably have lodges and other organizations meeting in there every night of the week. Right. And the lodge the lodge would appoint a, a director um, to sit on the board, and the board of directors would run the, run the property as a as a business and make sure that the, the finances of the building uh, were intact and, and the building was up to standard mm-hmm. now it's difficult from our point of view in 579 because our building is a beautiful building right and when i joined the in 1974 it's exactly the way that's it been described that it was it was not in good condition it needed a lot of work done to it and basically um, if you had gone in there for the first time, you'd have come away with a bad impression. Right. So we have worked at that over a number of years, and, and we've worked on it recently uh, because we're coming up to the, the centenary next year. And I would say that the property property's probably looking as good now as, it's, as it has been over the time I've been in the lodge. We've spent money on it, we've spent time on it. But if, you, if your lodge owns a property, you've got to have the the brethren in the right frame of mind to keep that property and do work on. It. Agreed. Yeah. And if you've not got an active core of brethren, you may have you may have fifty members in your lodge who attend regularly, but unless you've got ten of those guys that are dedicated to look after the property and do the work when it's needed and done,
0: then your property will will gradually decline. That's that's a fantastic point. Now. I want to I want to make sure we work in this amazing book that we have sitting here. We're going to learn a little bit about that, but uh-huh. I want to flow with this conversation because some really interesting aspects are getting brought up, and it's making me think some things here. So, to bridge into this, because we're we're talking about these these aged historic buildings that um, that have meant so much to us. Scotland is one of the places in the world that has so many amazing historical sites, right? So you guys have, I guess, this weight of responsibility, much more than places like Kansas do. However, we see around Kansas, like for one example, our Grand Lodge building. Mm-hmm. We, we no longer own that. It's, yeah. it's out of our control. Yeah. Um, but now, to the public eye, it's it's in pretty rough shape. Yeah. Um, we're seeing in Lawrence, we we've got another historic Masonic temple there that actually my grandfather and my uncle were raised, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, it's being well upkept and it's not mm-hmm. so much the business model that's being ran, but mm-hmm. as was brought up in the annual communication today, part of the advertising for a business there is advertising the Masonic temple is yep. the gateway to hell. How do we approach? The buildings that we no longer own, yet that representation or that image that it portrays upon us? Well,
3: I, I, think, I think that um, that's difficult because we don't own the property anymore. The property has yeah. been sold over to someone else, and it's their responsibility either to upkeep it, to convert it into something else, or demolish it. Sure. Yeah. Um, we, in, in our province, there was a Masonic Hall in Motherwell, was sold within the last year, and really that had been run down. It was a four-storey building, and the temple was in the four-storey. So, um, you know, anybody anybody, you know, over the age of 60 had difficulty getting up to the meeting. Right. Um, no lift, stairs all the way. And um, the local council bought it over because of a new road development. So okay. they we're going to demolish it, so that was perhaps the best thing to do. Um, it just come literally to the to the end of its, its lifetime. Definitely, Um and that's what happened. Going back a bit, and you were talking about lodges met in taverns and pubs and one thing and another. My own lodge, bride, we met in a in a, a small hall above the Two Chimneys pub. And these two guys are familiar with pictures the Two <laughs> <Gymnasium laughs> <the> pub. Oh, <laughs> and. <laughs> they met up there. The very first meeting was held in the Magdala Hall, which was up above the the Two Chimneys pub. But we turned a corner because we moved from there um, to the Royal Buildings, which are at Eastern Cross, and then laterally in, in the public halls. But throughout that time, there was always a, always a, a desire within the lodge to try and own their own property. Okay, and I think what really gelled that together. Was the First World War? Yeah, because in the First World War, after the First World War, there were so many men coming back from the First World War that they they were looking for something, and the, the membership of the craft in Scotland and probably other places just exploded. Mm. You know, hundreds of lodges were were formed, chartered. You know, but um, at that particular time, uh, they, they, they moved to to build their own, their own Masonic Hall and that Masonic Hall as far as we were concerned was almost a memorial to, to, the, to the guys that went to the war, um, that, was, that was 1924, but they actually started actively looking for property to build uh, as the war was going on, you know? Right. you know, which was when you think about that Then after that the depression, You know, it was just astonishing that they were raising money uh, to spend, you know, three and a half thousand pounds in 1924 was a lot of money,
0: but that's what it cost to build a property. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. So, on that topic, your own son has done some amazing research. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, and tell these us.
3: Guys, these guys know Stuart, they met Stuart. Yeah.
0: yeah. Tell yeah. us a little bit about what he's done here uh, with this book.
3: Well, this this was a book um, that he's written. Uh, it's, it's The Great War, Watson Bride 579, The Great War. 1914, 1918. fourteen, nineteen eighteen. I'm particularly proud of him for, for producing this book. And this all this all happened um we were coming back to back from a meeting uh, one night down in Ayrshire and we we're talking in the car and he asked the question we've we've not got a war memorial in our lodge. Why have we not got a war memorial? And I had written the history of the lodge in the nineteen eighties, nineteen eighty two or somehow and I said, Well it's difficult because in the lodge minutes, they mentioned things about the first world war. They mentioned about guys are going to leave, and our master at that time went, was called up and went. The wardens went, we lost the master and the wardens at that time, called right. up to go. Um, and they used to write in the minutes that we've sent packets of cigarettes and things over to our brother in the front. We used to get letters back thanking us for things that we'd sent over, and um. He said, why have we not got a war memorial? We don't know why we've not got a war memorial. We had a, a memorial service in 1922 for the guys that died. We've got six members of our lodge who died in the First World War. And they had a memorial. We've got a printed program for the memorial, but it doesn't actually tell you in the program who we're remembering. Right. And no names on it. And I think the fear was that if we mention names, we'll miss somebody out. You know, we'll not we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. get a complete list.
0: Don't want to be forgotten. So he said, I'm
3: I'm going to start, and I'm going to have a look into that and see uh, what I can come up with. Sure. And, and the way of members who were in the First World War. And he had a great advantage. Because I told him at the time that if he was doing research, you had to cross-reference from two two sources. Yeah. To, to, to confirm something, you had to cross-reference from two sources. So the advantage that they had was that we have a roll book going back to the first members of the lodge in in 1876. So everyone that's joined the lodge since ni- since 1876 is in that roll book, and it gives them, it gives you their age, their occupation, their full name, their address, and when they were initiated, passed and raised. And that's confirmed as a as a as a, as a reference, a source of reference. Definitely. So, what he had to do then was find out who amongst these guys were in the forces during that time, the First World War, 1418. So, he was looking at military records, he was looking at the census um, that was taken around about that time, and gradually cross-referenced guys that were members of the Lodge and had fought in the, fought right. in the Army. Or and that's how he built this up. He's got about 90 members of the Lodge. Uh, which wow. is identified as being in the forces, and six, six killed. Some of the some of the stories are remarkable. Um, one of our members, for example, Joseph Reed, uh, was captured. Um, he was in a prisoner of war camp for nearly four years. While well, he was in the prisoner of war camp, the lodge looked after his wife and his three kids, and. The remarkable story was that I think at that particular time, if you had been prisoner for three years, they had a, a repatriation program, and the Allies were repatriated in Holland, which was neutral, and the Germans were repatriated into Switzerland, which was neutral. A bit like the American Civil War. They traded off sure. prisoners, yeah, and they had to sign, a, sign away saying that they wouldn't they, they, they participate in the war again. While he was in Holland, um, he was a founder member of a Masonic Lodge in Holland, a prisoner of war lodge called Willem van Orensen, and it was number 118 under the Grand East of the Netherlands. At the end of the war, that lodge transferred to the United Grand Lodge England and still meets. Is that right? Still meets in London to this day. And we went down to the centenary in in 2018, and uh, we were the only members there who could directly link back to a founder member. Uh, He was a a member of Lodge St. Bride, and he was one of their first office bearers in the the Lodge. So that was the type of information he was coming up with in this book. And even more remarkable, um, we found out that our members were really in Russia during the First World War, all down through Europe, Belgium, France, Northern Italy. Egypt, uh, Palestine, Iraq, Iran. That's, that's you know, quite the reach. It's, it's, really, it's really it's really, quite quite uh, incredible. Yeah. We explored that even further, and the stories that come back were just amazing. Um, Stuart tracked down a guy that was killed uh, in the First World War. He found out where he was buried, and... There was eight of us went over to visit his grave. And when we went over to visit his grave, we took a wreath with us and we held a service at his grave. And wow. and in remembrance our brother. And that was quite remarkable. Um, that was the first one that we'd actually identified and where he was, where he was buried. And we said, look, if we come up with anyone else, we really need to to take this forward and try and try Most and definitely. go and visit again. And much to our surprise, he came up with another one that he identified that had been killed and he was buried, but can you imagine where he was buried? Israel. Is that right? He was well it was Palestine at that time, but he was killed in Palestine and he was buried in Beersheba, which is now uh-huh. in Israel. So it was four of us went over to Israel and, and did the same. We took a wreath over and we had a, a service his grave. That's and amazing. that was that's what this book's produced This produced a lot of interest. And the our guys, but the, but the most important thing about this book is, because that was just over a hundred years ago that this happened, right? right. And it's getting into the mists of time. Stuarts captured this information, and it's now in print. These guys are now recognised for what they did, and some of the Definitely. some of the horror stories that came out of the First World War. Um, he's captured these guys that were involved in these horror stories, you know, and the horrors that they went through. to... Right to make our country the way it is just now. If he hadn't written this book going on in the future, the
0: stories that are in this book would have gradually have drifted away and would have lost. Right. It. Yeah. That's amazing. I I cannot wait to dig into yeah. this. Uh just hearing about the, the depth of research that he yeah. did. Oh,
3: I, mean, I mean the 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 research that he's put into that was just incredible. I mean he flew to London, the the he wanted to try and get hold of the, the Absent Voters Register. You all know what that is, but the, the Absent Voters Register was part of the census, but if they did it came to the House to do the census and your father, your brother, or your uncle was not there, then they would need to fill in where he was, right. so it would be on it that he was an act of service. Okay. So that was the Absent Voters Register. Now our parish is Bothwell Parish, which takes a reasonable size area. So he thought he had nothing else to do but go to a local library and pull that out. They didn't have it. They sent him out to the Mitchell Library in Glasgow. They didn't have it. They sent him to Edinburgh, to the National Library in Edinburgh. They didn't have it. And they tracked down that it was in the National Library in London. And he flew down to London. You need to arrange all the to books out of the library and come in to see them. The day before he was due to fly, they said they, weren't, they couldn't guarantee that they actually had the books he was looking for. And he wasn't sure whether he was going to go or no. so we persuaded them to go. And when he went down there, they pulled out the books. They had, they had actually more books than he was expecting for this abs- right? absent voters role. And that ticked a lot of boxes because they had a list of names. He went down the list of names and everybody had an active service next to it. Then he took a note of the name. And and you come back with an address and come back and check against their role and the, wow. the lodge role. And that was a confirmation. So I picked up a lot of guys for the
0: absent voters' role as well. Sounds like there is a ton of research. Oh, it's five years of research on that. Well, I'll yeah. ask you this. How is this available? How can how can our viewers find out and get a copy of this? Well, that's
3: a good question because we printed hundred and twenty copies. Okay. Uh, we sold it at twenty pounds, and that's twenty pounds at its cost to print that, publish that. And 120 copies sold in the lunch night.
0: Is that right? <laughs> That's right is, that? is there yeah. plans to make more?
3: We printed another 70, and I think he's got about six left at the 70.
0: All right. Yep. Is, there a, is there a good email address or something for your lodge that they can get a hold yep. of you to order that? Yep.
3: What would that be? That's Lunch from Bride 579. It's, it's on the, it's on the, the, the webpage, at st- okay. bride579.co.uk.
0: Sounds good, and we will get that in the yep. link as well. Yep. We've got about 15 minutes until our yep. toast for this evening. Now, as we're talking about all this history in Scotland, one cool thing about the three of you, you've shared that I hopefully will one of these days. You've all got the chance to go over there and see all this cool history. the Patrick Craddock, you're kind of like my idol because you're doing this stuff all the time, nerding out professionally. Tell, tell me a little bit an
1: about this. And, a nerd. And, a nerd. and Same sentence. That's
0: soon. awesome. <laughs> and you, never, and you never flinched. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> no. So tell me a little bit about your trip because you got to go over there as well, and, and and I hear you've got a picture over there now too, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's a long story.
2: That one.
0: Uh, but he'll tell you. He'll tell you a bit, um, the story about when,
5: you
3: was invited into our Grandmaster Mason's room.
5: Yes, yeah, I can I can't tell you that. So the reason that I ended up there is because of Jim. So uh, Grand Lodge of England was getting ready to celebrate their 300th anniversary. That's right. Yeah. And they spent a ton of money on this event. So they invited every grandmaster of every recognized jurisdiction. It
0: was a full production. Full production.
5: All we had to do was get to London. Right. And they had our hotel, our meals, the events, the the entire thing. A huge production. So when the invitation came to say, you know, do you want to come? Well, instantly the answer was yes. We knew that back at the annual communication when I was getting installed. And it was immediately after installation, uh, Jim comes up and takes a picture. And he says, hey, are you going over to London for the 300 And I said, yes. And he stopped and he says, if you're going to come that far, then why wouldn't you come up and see Scotland while you're already there? That's
0: a fair question.
5: So – um, which immediately, you know, I looked right back at him and said, "Let's let's figure out how to how to make this work." And so Jim had set up for for uh, my wife and I to fly into Glasgow, um, stay there in in, um, in his town, go to go to St Bride, and then we went to um, the uh, communication of the Grand Lodge of Scotland. When you're when you're a sitting Grand Master and you travel abroad, there's uh, logistics that get put in place before you go. So letters sure. get sent, uh, permissions received, et cetera. Um, and so they knew I was coming to, um, the communications for the Grand Lodge of Scotland. So we, we, we get there, we get there early, take a tour of the place, et cetera. we we'll go to lunch. And then after lunch, I was invited into the Grand Master's office. It's where my regalia was. So we were getting right. dressed to, to, to go to lodge. And as we're doing this here, come in, um, three, past grandmasters of Scotland, older gentlemen, you can tell that they're um, aristocracy just based by the way they speak, they dress, (laughs) etc. And the confirmation that they were aristocracy was one of them was complaining about a banquet he was getting ready to go to. And he had a toast that he had to memorize. And his gripe was the toast is too long. He'll never get it memorized. He's going to get a word out of step and someone's going to be yelling at him for it. And one of the other, older past grandmasters looked at him and says, stop whining. Queenie's deaf. Say whatever you want. (laughs) I initially stopped and looked. Did he just say what I think he just said? (laughs) You can, you can walk into the Grand Lodge of Scotland and, and see from the paintings on the walls, the, the, the connections to the Royal family that have existed with within the Grand Lodge of Scotland, but you don't, it's one thing to look at a painting and it's another thing to hear the conversations <laughs> I've been in the, in the, uh, in the Grandmaster's office. But um, Jim and Pat both have been that connection for the grand lodge of Kansas and the relationship um, across the pond. And and, and our relationship with Jim has, has, has been one that just every year continues to grow. stronger. Yeah. We have a Kansas Mason. That's a member of same bride. I mean, he went, he ran off. There's been several of us that have gone to visit. There's several of us that have, um, unfilled petitions to want to go back, <laughs> um, and it's just a matter of, of making it. But what's what's amazing is Kansas masonry traces its roots from Scotland, and so it's 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 it's, it's going back home. We don't look, speak, or operate the same in our lodges, sure. I, but the character, compassion, and purpose behind what we do as craft masonry, you don't find a difference,
1: I don't think.
0: That's beautiful. I love that. Brother Craddock, you're one that has taken many trips over there, and I doubt you're done, right?
1: No, I, no, still. I, uh,
0: <laughs> so, so what is it that captures you and 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 really makes you want to get over there and and do what you do?
1: Well, for me, it's still the connection with history, sure, and Masonic history, and but on top of that, now there are dear friends that you just needed an excuse to go see, sure. And uh, so, it, to 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 have that connection with uh, uh, an interest in history, with the Masonic experience that is exactly the same but totally different than what we have here. Right. And the, uh, you will learn about Masonry from having that experience of it, of it, of enjoying Masonry beyond your grand jurisdiction where they may do things a little differently. And that's exciting for me, too, is to 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 have that experience and then to share that experience with people. Right. And go, you know, we're going to have an opportunity to do these things, see these things, visit these places. So that's what kind of drives me to do that. You know, it, it's a beautiful concept how you're talking about
0: that connection to history, but then you get kind of blindsided by those relationships that are just that much more important. In Freemasonry, we talk so much about traveling, and often it's hard to see that about going from one side of the state to another. How important would you say it is for Masons to travel,
1: not just within their jurisdiction, but well beyond? Uh, hugely important. Uh, whenever I talk to young Masons, and I'm not talking about 18, 19, 20-year-olds, but men that join in their 30s and 40s, right, is it's, it's important to become active in your lodge, but don't stand looking at the altar in that lodge with your back to the rest of masonry, right? Take the opportunity to visit another lodge in your county, another lodge in your jurisdiction, another lodge, outside of your jurisdiction, another lodge internationally, if you have an opportunity, Mm -hmm. because you will learn more about masonry from that experience and the way others uh, uh, have that Masonic experience and welcome you as a brother yeah. into it uh, that you learn the universality of masonry. Uh, I want to tell a real quick story, something Go I got for to it. do yeah. this past weekend. It meant a lot to me. I was invited to lecture at St. Albans Lodge okay. in in Texas. And uh, in preparation for that, there was a young mason who was a member of, uh, or it was a student at Texas A&M and he wanted to come but he was young and didn't have much money for a dinner ticket and i heard this story and i was talking to the guy that was my host that i said look tell him to come i'm buying his ticket and he said well why are you doing that and i said because when i was a student living overseas i didn't know it for a while but i never bought a festive board ticket Wow! Ever. Yeah, this is my opportunity to pay those men that influenced me back so much. Right, to do the same thing that was offered to me in the spirit of brotherly love and and masonry, and it and uh, I jumped at that opportunity. That's
0: that. beautiful. I love that. You know, w- within that, we often get to see how masonry makes the world a smaller place, and especially, it doesn't matter if you're going the next lodge over or the other side of the pond, masonry has that beautiful aspect of you instantly have this bond with these guys. And I think that's something we all need to harness. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, I guess when you talk historically about the brothers of the mystic tie, there's something very real about that, that I think is, is hard to put into a written form, but there's something there. There's something powerful. And I, I, I totally agree with you. I think it's, it's definitely worth, uh, getting as far as you can and meeting them.
1: I've got one other anecdote if yeah. you'll allow me from my experience my over there. When, when I moved to Wales to go to school, I, I, I lived in the Welsh dorm. only spoke Welsh language because I wanted to learn some of it. I didn't know at the time that I was really thick and couldn't learn languages that easily. <laughs> but, um, but it was difficult for me living in a country where I knew no one. No one really cared about me right. until I found the lodge in town. And I remember the first time I went to that Lodge meeting, I was welcomed like I had been a member of that Lodge my entire Masonic life. And during the course of me being there, I was asked several times, Brother Craddock, would you reply to the visitor's toast? And I'm thinking, oh, well, I'm a young PhD student. They want to hear words of wisdom about masonry and universality. And, and I spoke, you know, about things. Oh, I said, oh, very good, very good. Well, it took me about a year to really comprehend that they didn't care what I said. They just wanted to hear this accent. So, <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> so, yeah, that's
0: fantastic. Well, brothers, I want to thank you so much, firstly, for everything that you do for our craft, from all the way in Scotland and coming over here to Kansas from the years of dedication uh, that you have devoted to the craft in general. And then still, still being here for the brick and mortar work of the annual communication and helping Freemasonry move forward and then popping in for some round liquid on a Masonic podcast late at night. I appreciate everything you guys do. We always end this off with a live toast.
1: Brother Craddock, could I get you to offer us a toast this evening? Well, I'd be honored. All right. So, uh, to the spirit of Freemasonry, to the fellowship and brotherhood that we all share, to the time that we have to enjoy together and a safe return to our native lands, should we so desire.
0: Here, here. Cheers. Yeah. Brothers, thank you again so much for joining me this evening. It's been a pleasure sitting and having this conversation with you, and I hope we can do it again soon. Brilliant. Hey, you leave
5: the pleasure. door open. We'll crack. It. <laughs> oh yeah, I
0: <laughs> have more liquid on the table. <laughs> that, was, that was too long for us going. Everyone that joined <laughs> live this evening, thank you as well. Uh, appreciate all you do in supporting the show. Until next time, we'll see you right back here. Keep saving history with Historical Eye. Good evening. May did you?